You know, and that's really important. I'm going to be interviewing um, uh, another couple next week. They're starting another Bible fellowship. And so it's just important because the temptation is to to just come. Because this is what I've discovered is that you just come and all you come to is service. I mean, this is, a, this is an okay service. This, You know, the worship's good. I think the word is decent. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's good to come, but... Y- y- you understand what I'm saying, that it can turn into a spectator thing. And, and real re, reality is, is that I know we have a platform and we have seating and it's all focused this way. And, and what I'm about to say just doesn't register. But the audience really, really isn't you. And the entertainers are really not up here. The audience is God alone and we come to worship him alone. And so that's that's what we're here for to do. But but so often, uh, if all you do is come and you do this and you don't connect with other people, it's just a matter of time before you're going to go find something that's a little better. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I just throw that out to you. Hey, take take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to First John, First uh, John chapter five. We're wrapping up First John today. Isn't that crazy? We've been in it for several months. If you're if you're new to um, to Central. We've been walking through John's letter called First John. It was written to a group of people in a church in a town called Ephesus. And it was written to these people and they had some struggles that they were going under. One of those was false teachers coming out of their midst. Also, what they were finding is people were dying and Jesus had not returned. So we need to look at this thing a little bit. And so they, John starts talking to them about what we've called, we've called this whole series The Real Deal. Not being some fake, not being something that's just a religious something or, or that you hold a code of conduct or you mimic other people, but you are the real deal. God's spirit lives inside of you and you are different people. And, uh, and that's what he's dealt with. Well, we come to the end of the book and I think when we come to the end of the book, something is always vital here. What are those final words he's going to get out, uh, to the people in this letter that he wants them to get? And in 1st John chapter 5, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 13, but let me give you a word picture just to kind of get you started with me today. Uh, there was an interview done with a guy who, who does deep sea diving, and part of what he does, too, is he works with exotic fish, and, and, and they were interviewing him, and they talked to him about some of the most interesting exotic fish that he's ever known. He said to him, one of the most interesting fish that is out there is the shark. He said, "What?" And, and he's worked in aquariums and he's worked in different things. He said, a shark, if you put a shark in a small aquarium, a small shark in a, in a small aquarium, he said, that shark will become fully grown but never go beyond that aquarium. It, it will just stay at, at, at that smallness because of the environment that it's in. However, you take a shark, you throw him out in the ocean where sharks are, are meant to be, uh, and, and what happens is, is that shark will grow, it can grow immense. You know, there's no limit really on how it's going to grow. The environment determines how big that shark is going to get. I believe that there are many people who claim Jesus Christ, but their environment has been limited because of doubt and fear and, and different things that they use to close them in from growing. And what happens is, is they become adults. They become older in life, and they have become adjusted to a small aquarium instead of what God created them to be, which was to be immense and to grow in Him. You, you understand what I'm saying? Is that sometimes we got to understand 
that it is those things. And I tell you, one of the major things that keeps many Christ followers from growing beyond they are, where they are is flat doubt. They're just not sure that they really have it all. And they keep looking for something else. And the enemy, if he can make you doubt, it will keep you from growing in your faith with him. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5. And we're going we're gonna to start in verse 13. I am going to the end of the chapter, but you've got to stick with me as we get through this. And, and verse 13, if you were to, if, if you were to take a, the whole letter and you were to break it down to a verse, this is probably the one that would work. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that know there is a fixed, absolute truth, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Let me call time out, uh, because that was a mouthful of words there all of a sudden. And, and let me just say something about the sin that leads to death, okay? Because I have studied this, I've read up on it, and not all the commentaries agree on what this literally means. So it's one of these days that uh, we're going to stand in the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, what does it mean, this sin unto death? And he's going to say, well, obviously, you didn't commit it because you're here. So that is the good news. But what does it mean? Some people think it means this, that there's a person who, who confesses to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but their heart gets hard, they start living in sin, really doing a bad name uh, for the name of Jesus Christ, and so God just takes them out and takes their life away. Now, that could be possible, could be possible, could be a possible answer. I, I, the, one of the reasons I don't lean that way is that wherever in the, in the letter John talks about life and death, he's always talking about spiritual life and death. So he's not talking about he wouldn't be talking about spiritual death there. He would be talking about physical death. So, there, But there must be another answer. So what is that other answer? Well, the other one it leans towards this, is that this is a person who was probably a part of the church there, who at one time it said they were a follower of Jesus Christ. However, there was never a heart transformation. And because of that, they, they started living in a life of unbelief. And because of that unbelief, that sin led to spiritual death. Because when you read all of the 66 books of Scripture and we look at them in, in the theological sense of the way they're put together, is that we really believe that it's a permanent relationship that is established with Jesus Christ. It cannot be taken away. So obviously this would be a person who maybe by mouth only or by attendance at church said they were a follower of Christ. However, something came along and they decided that they were an unbeliever and that sin led to death. We'll, we'll know someday when we get in the presence of Jesus to get the full answer. But that was pretty good, though. All right, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, and that's habitual. They do not con continue in habitual sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. 
We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. The end. What I want to talk about for a few minutes is I want to talk about what is the fruit that are, in other words, what is the, what is the positive that comes out of this knowing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And I think there's four things here that John lays out that I want to give you this morning that I think are going to help you to understand. These are, these are mine. As a follower of Jesus Christ, these things are mine, and so I want you to see them. And the way they come out uh, was kind of weird how the Lord gave them to me, but hopefully they'll help you to understand them. Number one is this, a permanent position. Notice what he says in that verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know it is a permanent position. It's not something that you have one day and can be taken away. It's not something that you can throw away. It is something that is permanent. And what is permanent? Eternal life is permanent. We do not understand eternal life very well. We so often equate eternal life just with a, a quantity of time. In other words, you're going to live forever, okay? That's eternal life. You're going to live forever. Think about it this way. If you grew up in an impoverished home or an impoverished nation or you were under persecution your whole life, all of a sudden somebody's going to tell you, you come to Jesus, you're going to live forever. They're going to say, forget it. I don't want to continue this way forever. So it's not a quantity, even though I truly believe when we, when we step out of these earth suits, as we transition, we come to the presence of the Lord, I believe there's a quantity there. But eternal life is a quality. And what Jesus said in John 17, he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, Father, and that they may know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In other words, it's this. Eternal life is a relationship with a living, creating, holy, all-powerful God. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life does not begin when you die. How many times do you go to a funeral and somebody will say, they've now entered into eternal life? No. Let me tell you when you enter into eternal life. It's when you come to that point of repentance and saying, Jesus Christ, I need you as my Savior. It's at that point that you enter into eternal life. Does, does tough things still come? Yeah. Do hurricanes still come? Yeah. Fires still come? Yeah. Those things still come. But I'm telling you, you've entered into a restored relationship with the God of all creation. That's good news. That's eternal life. But how does that happen? He says it happens, but for those who believe and those that are born of God, is that, that happens. In other words... Belief is not a head knowledge, but it's a transformation that takes place. And the way I look at it is that what is transformation? Well, it's not information. Some people think if I just get enough information, God's got to take me because I've learned the Bible. I've learned church stuff. I've got information. Or it's not familiarization where you become familiar with all of the things of church and Christianity. And I'm so familiar. God's got to take me in. Because of familiarity. Or it's not adaptation. It's not adapting to a code of conduct or adapting to certain things. And, and certain people, you know, look at the way they dress, look at the way they conduct themselves. They must be Christians because of that. Or they must be whatever faith they are because of adapting to something. It's not adapting. What it is, it's transformation. It's God changing, beginning with your heart 
and changing you from the inside out. That's what it is. It's transformation that takes place, not adaptation, not um, information. It's, it's the same picture of a tadpole that becomes a frog or a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. The way that happens is, is beyond what we can imagine, but that is the transformation that comes. God works inside of us and he gives us this eternal life and he's transforming. So listen, you guys aren't what you're going to be, but you're not what you were. And God is growing you up. He's growing you up in that. And, and here's the problem in our society. We can't believe anything is permanent. We, we, we think nothing is permanent in our day. So what makes eternal life seem permanent? I thought about this in, in my lifetime, okay? There's music. We all love music. And uh, when I was younger, you know, all music came on vinyl. You know, you had your 33 RPM or then along came what was the end-all, be-all. No, I'm not there yet. The 45. You went to the 45. Then you went 8-track. Oh, man, that was the end-all, be-all. I was driving my car around with my 8-track, man. How many of you, the thing would start dragging and you would, or break, and you'd have to splice it back together? I mean, there was, no, 8-track was the end-all, be-all of that. And then somebody came along with a cassette. Oh, man. You, you had your cassette, and, and, and you're able to play that. And, and how many of you had the 8-track adapter that would play your cassette? Yeah, now we're talking. Uh, so you'd play your cassette. And then along came the cassette player that not only played the cassette one way, but it would reverse it and play it back. And that is the end all of music right there. And then somebody came up with a CD. And some of you are thinking, I don't need CD, i got a cassette. But the next thing you know is you got a CD player and you're thinking, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And all the music is on CD. CD will be permanent. It will be here forever. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up with the digital iPod and, and then... And now, you know, you got a chip in your forehead. I, I don't know what you're, you're doing. You know, most of us, it's just Pandora or something like that, you know, that, that, that we've got plugged into our, our system or whatever. But, you know, we thought it was permanent. You know what the permanent was? The permanent was the music. But it was different devices along the way. And, 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 uh, and so we don't think anything can be permanent. It's cars. It's whatever it may be. You know, there's always going to be the new latest greatest. Let me tell you, there is not a latest greatest eternal life. It is only in Christ alone. You don't need to look for anything else. In fact, once we think we've exhausted it, there's another door that opens that shows us greater things that even God has. It is a permanent position. Some of you need to hear that today. You've got so much doubt in your life. It is a permanent position that you have in Christ. Number two. We have the privilege of prayer. Notice what the Scripture goes on to say. It says that, um, that in verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. We have this privilege of prayer. It comes in this relationship with Jesus Christ. As we know Him, we learn how to pray according to His will. Somebody may say, Mark, is it not a privilege of a non-Christ follower to pray? Can they not pray? I believe they can pray, but I believe the prayer that God hears is the one where they are seeking after Him. In Scriptures, it tells us about a guy named Cornelius in the book of Acts 
Cornelius did not, was not a follower of Christ, but he was a believer in God. And he began to cry out to God because he wanted the truth. So what God did with that prayer is he nudged and woke up uh, Peter after giving him a vision. And Simon Peter went down to Caesarea and he shares the gospel with these people and they come to Christ. To me, that is the prayer of the non-Christ follower. But once we become followers of Jesus, we have the privilege of prayer. We are into his family. We can, we can pray and we can, the reason we can pray according to his will is that we have this relationship and we know his heartbeat. We know according to his word. We know it's his will that none perish but all come to repentance. We can pray that. We can pray according to, to his will because we know it because of the relationship we have. But if you don't have the relationship, you don't have, you don't have the privilege. Case in point, here, it happened yesterday. Um, Harper, our granddaughter, uh, is playing soccer, which is nuts. She's five years old. I mean, she can do it. It's just not in her DNA too well, but, 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 uh, but she's out there. And so, um, uh, Pam had something. I went to where she was playing. Turned out to be just a practice. So, uh, grandson Gavin says, Hey, pops, let's go over to the playground. That's fine with me. Let's go to the playground. So we're walking, million people. This was in Georgetown walking across and uh and uh we go to the playground and this other kid just comes up beside me and starts talking to me and uh i don't know this kid from anything gavin doesn't know him he just comes up talking to me and uh and I, i'm listening to him and and uh he walks with us all the way to the playground and go in there and starts playing and i thought this is nuts I, that kid i don't know him uh you know if he were to ask me for something i would say no i say kid i don't know you i'm not going to give you anything because because i don't know you Gavin, on the other hand, if he were to say, Pops, I, I need this, you, you bet, you bet. What's the difference? He has the privilege of being my grandson, whereas this Yahoo, I don't know, where, where's his parents at? Where's his parents at? And, 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 and so I'm not going to, he doesn't have the privilege that Gavin has. And that's what, this, that's what John is getting across, is that, that you have the privilege because of this relationship that you have, you have the privilege of prayer. And, and is this, and the privilege is this, is that he hears us and he responds. Let me, let me say something to you right quick about response. Response doesn't necessarily mean yes. Okay? I, I want you to hear that. It doesn't necessarily mean yes. Um, and we, we need to realize that no and wait are also answers. Okay? He doesn't always say yes, but I can tell you this, prayer does bring power in your life. And if there's little prayer, there's little power. If there's little power, there's probably little prayer in your life. So we have the privilege of prayer. Number three is this, we have the power to prevail. Power to prevail. Notice what it said in verse 18. It says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And it's not saying never sin. It means you do not, your life is not habitually directed by sin anymore. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know we are children of God that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And, and so it's saying here that, that as children of God, we have the power to prevail. We have the power to overcome uh, that, that sin is severe. That sin brings consequences, but we have the ability to overcome. And, and here's, here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, there was an old covenant, okay? In the New Testament, there's a new covenant that was established through Christ. Well, what's the difference? The old covenant was established on the Mosaic Law, which was the Ten Commandments. And we were put, these Ten Commandments were put in front of man. And he looks at these and he says, 
oh man, I've broken them. And, and we all have. We've broken all of them at, at, at one way, shape, or form. And we look at that and we're thinking, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance because that's broken. I cannot keep that. I don't mind you posting Ten Commandments and, and this kind of thing, but I'm telling you the Ten Commandments lead to death. Because we read those and we can't keep them. So there was the blood of, blood of goats and sheep that was put into place. And, uh, and so we see that. And so we look at that Ten Commandments. And it always is a reminder that we're broken. Okay? You come to the New Testament. And what it says in the New Testament is that now that Christ has come and He paid the ultimate price, He has now written the law in our heart. And He has given us His very Holy Spirit so that now we can live in victory. Okay? So the Old Testament told us we were dead in our sin, which we had to believe. The New Covenant tells us that we are alive and well through Jesus Christ, and we can live a different kind of life. And this is very important for us as Christ followers because His Spirit inhabits us so that we have this power to prevail, and we don't have to be bound to sin anymore. You see, what happened is, is that we have, through salvation, we have been set free from the penalty of sin, but now through His Spirit, we are set free from the power of sin. One day we're going to be out of these earth suits into His presence. We're going to be set free from even the presence of sin. So that is what we have this power to prevail. There's one more. There's a fourth one. If you're keeping, keeping up with notes, you know that we had a permanent position. We have a privilege of prayer. We have a power to prevail. And the last one is this, is all these P's just kept coming together is we have a perpetual partnership. Perpetual means ongoing. It's an ongoing partnership. Verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Here's how that looks. We are in Christ. Christ is in God. We have a partnership that is ongoing and it is everlasting. What happens is, is that it, as crazy as it is, even while we are on this planet, God chooses to partner with us by His Spirit to go out and proclaim His gospel to people that desperately need Him. And that's how He partners with us. He wants to use us. Why does He need us? Now, I've come to the conclusion He really doesn't need me. But somehow in His eternal way of doing some, some things, He has chosen to use me. And He has chosen to use you. He's chosen to use us to fulfill His great commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that He has commanded them. And lo, He is with us always, even unto the end of the age. That is this perpetual partnership that He has with us. We are in Him. I put it, my thoughts went this way. I want you to hear this. This kind of wraps up the whole deal. He is the real deal, and He has inhabited His children with the real deal. So that we can actually be the real deal. And that's what First John is all about. So that we can be the real deal. So you have a permanent position. You have a privilege of prayer. You have a power to prevail. You have a perpetual partnership. And then we come to verse 21, which is the end of the book. The end of this letter. And it says this in verse 21. It says, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Now, it's almost like this. If you've ever sent kids off to college or people have come to your house and they're leaving, especially if, they, if they're college kids, they come back home and they're about to leave, you say things like, call me, call me when you get there, or text me. Don't forget to fill up with gas before you, you know, 
Go to class tomorrow. I don't know what it may be, but there's a last word you want to get in there before they get away because you know you're not going to get another chance. And John, in closing this letter, that's what he seems to do. He says, hey, dear children, keep away from idols. Keep away from idols. It's that one last point he wants to get in there before he says, love John. Keep away from idols. And I thought about that a little bit. And I thought about idols. And I thought about how that there are so many things that are craving our attention to turn us away from God. It's been that way from the beginning. One writer said, you know, it began with sex, shekels, and, and stomach. And then it went to pleasure, possessions, and position. And we still battle idols today. And I thought about some of the idols we battle. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's the self. Whatever it is, St. Augustine said it this way. He said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshipped. And John knew, after writing all of this letter, giving him security in their walk with Christ, giving them, giving them what to do with false teachers, how to not love the world, he comes back one last time and he says, refrain from idols. Refrain from anything that's going to take you away from Jesus. And I think, man, John, that is good. We need to hear that today. You know, our idols, let's be honest, our idols are not going to be little Buddhas in our house or little, little pole, totem poles or something that we bow down to. That's not going to be it. It's going to be little things that are going to creep in on us. Money, fame, prestige, positions. These things are going to creep in on us. We've got to be always on the defense, but always on the offense living for the Lord. I, I want you to bow your heads with me just a moment. I, I want to just ask you a couple of questions. And then we're going to just extend our worship time. I want to ask you... I really want to ask this question, and I want you to hear my heart. Are you really in that permanent position of faith with Jesus Christ? Have you been transformed? Is God working in you? Have you come to that place in your life where you have asked God to forgive you, and you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, by, and then raising from the dead? Have you come to that point of saying, God, I need you in my life? I need you to forgive me. I need you. I want to follow you, God. I thank you for what you've done for me. Maybe today is the day. Maybe today, in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to extend this worship time. And there's going to be elders and pastors up here and prayer people for you just to come. And I, I, if today you're saying, that's me, Mark. I, I, today I give my life to Jesus. I give my life to follow after Him. I, I have followed idols. I have followed a lot of stuff. But I have not been secure in my following of Jesus. Today, I want to nail that down. I'm going to ask you to do something. It's not easy. But I'm going to ask you to step out and come come just share that with one of these, these prayer folks. Just say, hey, that was me today. That was me. Would you please pray for me? And just let them encourage you and pray over you. Listen, if you can't stand for Jesus in this room, you're not going to stand at school. You're not going to stand in your workplace. You're not going to stand in your neighborhood. You're not going to make it 
So let's begin by standing here. Secondly, some of you haven't been taking advantage of the privilege of prayer. You haven't been calling out unto the Lord. And maybe today there just needs to be that return of a, of a scratch on your heart that says, I need to be in prayer. And maybe you want to come kneel at these steps and just begin to pray for family members. Begin to pray for our nation. Begin to pray for revival in our land. You just need to come and pray that. But some of you may be here today, and, and I, I talked about the power to prevail, that you could actually walk a life of victory, but you're saying, I'm not walking a life of victory. I'm a Christian, but I still battle with lust, and I'm still battling with addictions, and I'm battling with hatred, and I'm battling with anger, battling with all this stuff. And listen, I, the Lord has promised it in His Word. And maybe today you're just saying, I need to come take a fresh stand and say, God, by Your Spirit, may Your power Work through me so that I can prevail today.